Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, a subsidiary of Buker and Friends and part of the United WeCast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report. You can follow me on Twitter at Rick Buker and on Instagram at Rick underscore Buker. This is going to be a pan sport podcast, if you will, um, because I want to get into something that has to do with both what we're seeing in the NFL and the NBA in particular. Now, I pride myself on identifying what we're all seeing before most people in my business either recognize what's going on or are willing to acknowledge it. And so, With that, I'm here to say Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Drew Brees have officially jumped the shark. Now, I understand the reluctance to make this call. I respect all three, and I like Rodgers and Brees. All three are going to be in the playoffs this year. All three are still performing at a fairly high level. And to those who might suggest that I must have missed Breeze just lighting up the Indianapolis Colts and passing Brady and Peyton Manning for career passing touchdowns along the way, I would say this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is the problem. You must have missed the circumstances under which all that happened. As in, it happened in the Superdome. As in, it happened after the Saints lost a tough game on a last-second field goal by the 49ers just a week ago and are in the midst of battling the 49ers for the best record in the NFC. As in with the Colts missing their best corner, Kenny Moore, which left Michael Thomas to add to his MVP argument with 12 catches for 128 yards and a TD. A writer from The Ringer missed all that. He called it one of Breeze's best games ever, and he didn't even have the decency to add statistically. If he had, I would have been all right with it. Because statistically, it was. Breeze completed 29 of 30 passes for 370 yards, 307 yards, and four TDs. That's like, wow. But here's the thing. Anytime someone who at one point this season had people wondering if the Saints should roll with Teddy Bridgewater over him, and that was not me, by the way, because I took Teddy's success as a reflection of just how good the rest of this team is, not to mention how good of a coach Sean Payton is. 
don't you have to question if Breeze is still capable of one of his best games ever? No qualifications attached? Or just take a long, hard look at who he put those remarkable numbers against and at least acknowledge that this is the same Colts team that got lit up by Jameis Winston just a week earlier for 38 points and a team that's lost six of its last seven. I mean, Drew has played more than 270 regular season games and 15 playoff games, three of which he won with game-winning drives. I haven't, I haven't done a deep dive on this, but I'd venture to guess that when you factor in opponent and importance of the game, Drew has had at least a half dozen performances that rank higher than this one on his all-time list. Statistically, it's impressive. You take into consideration location, opponent, situation, circumstance. I, I just don't see how it ranks. So, bottom line, as I said, Breeze, Rodgers, and Brady will all be in the playoffs, and their experience could result in what looks like a vintage performance or two. But that would be a mirage. They are not at their peak. No more than Peyton was winning his last Super Bowl with the Broncos. Now, they haven't fallen off that far, but as far as their current level versus their peak level, all three are successful because of other parts of their team. All three are still good. It's just that for them to be great, they need it to come from their teammates. I'm not expecting Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, any one of them or two of them could wind up in the Super Bowl. But if they get there, it won't be because of them. They'll play a part, but it won't be because of them. It'll be because of them and the rest of their teams. And that's not the way, when they were at their peak, the order was set. Now, there's one other Breeze-related gripe I have before I move on. I saw a video tweeted out that showed Breeze all by himself in the practice facility going through imaginary practice snaps by himself. And the tag on the video was something about, this is what greatness looks like. This hit me personally. Because to that I say, no, it isn't. It's what someone who is passionate about their game looks like. It's what someone who fears they're not quite good enough looks like. It's someone who takes pride in their work looks like. And the reason I say all that is because as a collegiate soccer player, I routinely went out and worked out on my own or stayed after team practices. Just as I spent years as a kid and teenager dribbling cones in my driveway or banging a soccer ball off a wall, mentally placing myself in various scenarios. I worked out with teams, I worked out with teammates, and I worked out a lot on my own, playing imaginary scenarios, imagining myself in certain situations and thinking, do I have the skills, do I have the ability to get it done? Because I wanted to be great. But the truth is, I never was. I was pretty good, but uh, I needed all that extra time and attention 
just to make it to the collegiate level. And I did not have a, uh, an illustrious career at the collegiate level by any stretch. Played four years of varsity. That was probably my biggest claim to fame. Uh, but I did all that because I was passionate. Because I feared I wouldn't be good enough. When the moment called for me to be good enough. And I took great pride in what I did on a soccer field. My identity, good, bad, or whatever, was my stature as an athlete was was part of my identity. But all that didn't make me great. Breeze has what I had and what I've seen other people have, plus a few more things. And that's what makes him great. Which kind of brings me to the first of the two subjects that I really wanted to hit in today's podcast. Other than how the fight for attention has led to many of us in the media to make a bigger deal out of things than we should. And, and by the way, I'm not necessarily faulting the Ringer writer or any other writer for this. I imagine they are feeling pressure from their editors, if they have them, to provide the grist for a headline that will separate their story from every other story on the same subject in a Google search, triggering the curiosity reflex of the most readers. Uh, and by the way, just as an aside, I saw that uh, Sports Illustrated, or what's left of the, the husk of Sports Illustrated, that they fired all of their, uh, their editors. And I got to tell you, uh, it's one of the things that I take great pride in, in being with Bleacher Report, is that we have editors, we have a copy editing desk, um, we still have checks and balances, which is is a little bit, I don't know if it's ironic, uh, it's funny because when I first joined Bleacher Report some, my goodness, five, six years ago now, the there was the impression that there was no filter, that there were no checks and balances, that there was no copy desk or there was nobody proofreading or red checking uh, the information that was put out. And uh, BR has come a long way and from those days. And they, when I signed up, they promised me that that was their goal. And I, I look at the, uh, the checks and balances that my stuff goes through and that I'm sure every other writer goes through. They've, my editors have saved me more than once, and, uh, and they've been... Uh, inspiring when it comes to story ideas. And so trust me when I say that Sports Illustrated, uh, whatever was left of the husk, getting rid of the editors simply says they've given up. They're going to throw content out there, but it's not content that you can trust. Uh, that's, the, that's what is so vital and is missing with so many uh, websites uh, and news outlets in general, I fear. It, it requires somebody who is going to put a writer, who's going to ask questions, and is going to ask for corroboration, and is going to push to make sure that every angle, every element has been thought through and double-checked. And you deserve that as a reader. 
And it's why there's so much content that's out there that doesn't go through that system anymore. And so you have to be your own editor. Yeah, and that's a very difficult thing to do. But you have to determine what it is that sounds right and double check it through other sources. It's a challenge, it's a challenge. But unfortunately, it's part of the deal now. All right, so enough on that. Uh, as I watch uh, Brady in particular, unable to utilize the huge advantage that quarterbacks now have of being a running threat without the fear of getting knocked out of the game by a big hit, and mastermind Bill Belichick stymied in finding ways to take away that advantage from opposing quarterbacks who can run. It made me think about how when we're ranking all-time players, we completely ignore the vast changes in the game or the respective games over the decades. Watching mobile quarterbacks rise in value and effectiveness as rule changes have liberated them to take advantage of something that had previously been viewed as a liability, which is the desire and ability to run. It also made me think about the rise of point guards in the NBA, specifically scoring point guards, or as they were once known, shooting guards and small forwards with ball handling skills, because that's what we're seeing. We have this, this difficulty in determining is James Harden a point guard or not, or you know, what is LeBron James? Can we, can we really call him a point guard? Uh, I suppose we can. I suppose we should. Uh. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. But fact of the matter is it's not so much that those guys have changed as the point guard position has and quarterbacks who once might have been converted to running backs and wide receivers are now being valued at quarterback for the very thing that made them candidates for those other positions their speed and elusiveness help Ryan Tannehill was converted from wide receiver to quarterback a move that not that long ago was used to explain why he wasn't cutting it in Miami. QBs and point guards in particular are the same position of sorts in both sports. Ball handler tasked with not just setting everyone else up to score, but now given the freedom to look for yardage and points on their own. And all in both cases because of changes in the rules that have put new restrictions on what defenders can and can't do. For whatever reason, when I think about the value of three-point shooting and ball handling in particular over size or strength or even superior passing, the first player I think of is Dana Barros. Now, for those who may not know, Dana played 14 seasons for four different teams. He made the 1995 All-Star team for the 76ers. Finished with a career three-point shooting percentage of 41% when you take into account that he last played, I believe it was in 2004, he was prior to the advent of three-point shooting being as valued as it is. Because he was only taking an average of three a game. And not only was the 
three-point shooting not valued anywhere close to what it is today. But that was, he, he played in, in the heart of an era when every player coming into the league had to put on 20 pounds of muscle coming out of college to endure the pounding and have the strength to fight through the hand checks and arm bars just to get off a shot. I bring all this up not to downgrade what Steph Curry or Trey Young are doing, but to underscore the idea that comparing players from different eras in any sport is a fool's errand. The NFL is in the process of releasing its top 100 all-time players, which caught my attention when Charles Woodson didn't make it while Dick Night Train Lane made it as a corner and Jack Christensen and Emlyn Tunnel made it as safeties, all of whom played in the 50s and 60s. At least I know the last two did. Now, I'm no expert on how the game was played then versus now, not kind of like I am with basketball. I only know the name Night Train Lane because it's a cool nickname. But I can tell you how the NBA and NFL have changed over the last 30 years. So I th- I'm, think I'm safe in saying what the game was in the 60s was a far different one than in the 90s and aughts or 2000s. The NBA's list of top 50 players, selected in 1996 to celebrate the league's 50th anniversary, has all the same problems. Look, I'm sure Bob Cousy was a great player in his day. I also have no idea if he could have developed the skills necessary to be a star in today's game. I do know the skills he had then would not have got him very far today. And next year if my math is correct, will be the league's 75th anniversary, and I haven't heard any official word that the league plans to revise its top 50 or select the top 75, which is far more likely. Now, picking the top 25 players from 1997 to 2021, well, good luck with that. Good luck with not having a multitude of complaints and questions and I just hope that it doesn't become a thing of we're going to compare by numbers because the way the game was played in the late 1990s and the early aughts is in no way I mean the game's just changed dramatically in the last five years so uh, it's an easy segue to my next topic which is how amazed I am at the fans who don't, un- don't understand why Jared Dudley in particular is in the league. And I say that, if, if, you, if you noted, when I talked about Bob Cousy, I said, I don't know if he could have developed the skills necessary to be a star in today's game. Didn't say anything about his athleticism, size, none of that. And maybe I'm giving too much credence to some posts I've seen on social media, but I'd say, um, I don't know. I see someone question how or why Jared is in the in the NBA at least every other week, and largely because they don't think he's athletic enough. Which boggles my mind that fans, on one hand, fans today, can be so much smarter about the game because of aspects that analytics and video and 
just wall-to-wall coverage have uncovered and yet can be so obtuse about how the game is actually played or what it truly takes for a team to win games. Let's put it this way. Jumping high or being tall or having blazing speed are not among the first five prerequisites to making the NBA. If it was, J.J. Barea, Jalen Brunson, Ryan Archidiasano, excuse me, Ryan, Fred Van Vliet, Malcolm Brogdon, T.J. McConnell, J.J. Redick, and at this point, Chris Paul would not be in the league. I could look. I could go on. I could name at least another dozen, but you get the point. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of guys taller and faster with better verticals than all those guys. And I didn't even put Dudley on the list because he's 6'6 and around 240 pounds. You know what the number one prerequisite is, by the way? Mental toughness. And Dudley clearly has that. And I don't know that unless you've really been inside the pressure cooker and the demands of making the NBA and staying in the NBA that you possibly understand how much pressure there is, how much competition there is. Uh, First of all, Dudley puts up with knuckleheads who have the audacity to suggest he doesn't belong in the league, a league that he's found a way to stay in for 13 seasons. Because let me tell you, Dudley is as mentally tough, I don't want to say as any player in the league, but he, without question, checks the mental toughness box. You have any idea how hard it is at 34 to stay in NBA game shape when you're averaging less than nine minutes a game and have nine DNPs? With all the travel, with everything, you've got to find a way to stay ready. And when you are called upon, the one thing you have to be able to do to prove your worth is knock down threes, even though you might only get one a game. Imagine you're only getting one shot a game from three-point range, and your value rides on that one shot. And Dudley, by the way, in case you were wondering, he's taken 15 threes this season, and he's made nine of them. And don't go trying to tell me that if you played with LeBron and AD, you'd be making threes at a 60% clip as well. Again, anybody who's thinking that, you have no idea what the game's about. You have no idea how tough the NBA game is because you don't know if or when you're going to play on any given night or you're going to get a shot. And you better take that shot when it's in rhythm and you better not take that shot just to take that shot. No matter how limited your role is, In fact, the more limited the role, the more efficient you have to be, the less room you have for error. And your ability to be on the court to take that shot depends on you being in the right place defensively. It's the dirty little secret why Jamal Crawford is not in the league. Yes, he can still light it up but he can't light it up consistently enough to compensate for his consistent struggle to simply be a passable team defender.
You can go through all the guys that you think can't play defense in the league right now. But the fact is, they know how to stay within the team concept. You may see the, every guy gets a, can get uh, a blow by. Everybody, everybody can get beat off the dribble. It's a matter of, do they stay beat? And are they there in the spot that they're supposed to be in that prevents the next guy who gets beat off the dribble from having his guy get all the way to the rack? Are you going to force that guy to swing the ball or to pick it up? That's the question. All right. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless. Slightly shorter than usual episode, but uh, I've had a lot had a lot going on. I have a few things that it, uh, I'm on the cusp of announcing, some projects that I'm really excited about, along with uh, my TV work and everything else. Um, so um, whether it's Friendless or any of our, our other podcasts, please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And if you want us to do something for you, screenshot that uh, rating or review to at Buker Friends and you will be eligible to win uh, either an autographed copy of Derek Rose's new book or an autographed copy of uh, the book that I wrote with Yao Ming, A Life in Two Worlds, give you some insight into the issues that NBA, the NBA has in not just in China, but in uh, providing its, uh, its product and having business deals with countries around the globe that may not operate the same as we do. It's not an issue that the NFL or Major League Baseball really have to deal with. It's the plus and the minus that the NBA has in being a global sport. All right, that does it for this episode. In the next, I'll be joined by Ryan Hollins, and we'll take a look at the, uh, uh, among other things, the, the Bucks' great run and the upset by the Mavs, uh, the Lakers. We'll get in a, a preview of everything that's going on uh, come Christmas Day. So I think that's going to be a, uh, well, there's going to be some good ones and there's going to be some real duds. Uh, we'll talk about it all in the next podcast. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.